Welcome to another episode of Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy, and Daniel Hogan is in the studio. Thanks so much for everyone's support in our pledge drive last week and all the hard work of all the volunteers and individuals. We really appreciate all of you. And this week, our guest is... Emily Rasmussen, and she is with Grapevine. In just a moment, she will be with us. Tell us all about what she has going on there at Grapevine. Also, I'd like to remind you that you can email us at heartstockradio at gmail.com. We look forward to receiving your emails, and we'll be right back with Emily Rasmussen. This is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy, and today our guest is Emily Rasmussen. She is the founder and CEO of Grapevine. Hello, Emily. Hi, Carol. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, and thank you so much for being on Heartstock. I'm so curious about Grapevine, and it seems like you've kind of changed philanthropy a bit, or at least working to change philanthropy. Can you give our listeners a bit of information here? What is Grapevine, and what is it that you're doing there? I'd be happy to. Grapevine is the first crowd granting platform. We help people come together in giving circles where they meet and connect with other like-minded donors, pool their donations, and then collaborate to decide where to give the total amount. This is a model that has been around here in the U.S. since the early 90s. We certainly did not invent it and certainly has also drawn upon rich community-based uh, investing and giving uh, that goes back centuries in, in cultures and communities around the world. But we started in, in 2019 to build a, a platform, an online tool to help these giving circles more easily launch, manage, and grow their communities uh, with an online home. So we're at grapevine.org and that's how we're supporting the overall movement. And I, I would say that this really is a movement. It's largely been um, started by and is being driven by women, um, but certainly it's becoming more and more diverse as it continues to grow. And it is a, a movement to really democratize philanthropy and help move more funds, not only more funds, but also more funds to more underfunded causes and communities. Um, because the people who are making these decisions and putting this money into these communities aren't just our typical large-scale philanthropists, but are people that are really closer to the issues in many cases, have more lived experience and direct connection to the communities they're supporting. And, and so by the very nature of that, right, they're really bringing a different lens to what is important and, and what should be funded. So when you say democratizing philanthropy, specifically, you're just opening it up? and creating greater access to individuals who want to participate? Is that kind of how it's being more democratized or is there another twist to this? Yeah, that's exactly right. So what we've seen is that 
everyday philanthropists, right? People who might not have the the billions or millions of dollars that we often see in the news when they give away big gifts. Everyday philanthropists, everyday people can make a big difference in their communities. But often there's this sense that, oh, I'm not a philanthropist or, oh, I don't have enough to really make a meaningful difference. And so what we found is that this giving circle model where people come together with other people, learn from each other, socialize and have fun too, um, and really discover important causes and, and wonderful organizations, that this is a really great on-ramp for many people into philanthropy who may not be giving otherwise, or a great expansion of how they're giving um, to expand their understanding of, of issues and, and organizations that they might want to support. So we say it's democratizing philanthropy because it really is providing greater access to everyone. And of course, everyone has the opportunity to give to any organization, right? They'll be happy to accept your funds. But what we found is this is a really wonderful community-based model that helps engage people and brings them along into a more meaningful, purposeful giving experience that often has ripple effects um, long down the line. And you're speaking with us from New York. Correct? That's right. <laughs> Have you always been based in New York? Is that where you're from? No, actually. I, I've been here quite a while, over 10 years prior to, to the pandemic, but I'm actually from Northern California. I grew up in a, a small log cabin that my parents built in the middle of the mountains in Northern California. So quite a different well, uh, yes. situation from New York. Where in Northern California? It's about an hour and a half uh, northwest from Lake Tahoe, Okay, if you're familiar with the Tahoe area. Okay. So um, like, uh, I don't know, Grass Valley-ish, kind of that neck of the woods? That's, yeah, exactly. Be, okay. So Grass Valley, if you go further up into the mountains from there, there's a small little town called Sierra City. Oh, yes. Um, mm-hmm. So up in that area in Sierra County. Well, now, were you off the grid? Uh, How did that upbringing lead to this, where you are now? Great question. I we we weren't entirely off the grid. There okay. were certain things that we didn't have access to um, very often. For example, we didn't have television really. We were somewhat on the grid. This was also early days of of internet, and so we we did have access to internet in the early days a little bit up there. But um, we were homeschooled. So my parents built this log cabin and decided to homeschool my brother and me. And it was just a a really unique and uh, I think wonderful way to have the opportunity and the space to really explore whatever it was that interested us. The learning was really driven by us, my brother and myself. And so we got to decide what we wanted to learn and how we wanted to learn that. And my parents were really there to help facilitate that. My mom was a librarian. And so she would hear us talking about something that was of interest. And she would just bring home every book she could find from the library with the hope, you know, that one or two of them would spark our interest and and we would start reading. So it was that kind of a thing where we really drove our own learning. And I think that was a great way for us to feel very much in control of the things that we wanted to do and the kind of lives and and careers we wanted to have. And how did that autonomy kind of follow you? I see here that you got your MBA at Harvard. Yeah, so 
I think it was a bit of a windy road uh, to get there, but <laughs> I actually started as a professional ballet dancer. Oh my. Um, that was my first my first career, which was wonderful. I really enjoyed my time in, in that industry. It's also very tough field though, yeah. and very tough on your body. And mm-hmm. so I ended up doing that for a while. I, I danced in New York and San Francisco, and then most recently was up at Pacific Northwest Ballet in Seattle and had an injury and was recovering from that. And it was around that time that 9-11 also happened. And these things kind of came together for me in that, in a, I think in a way that influenced my next steps because I always knew at some point I wanted to go to college and do other things, but I felt very drawn to international relations and world affairs at that moment. And so pursued that and ended up spending some time, went to Occidental College in LA and spent some time at the United Nations during that time where I learned about microfinance. And I became very excited about microfinance, this community-based model of investing and supporting communities. And so that really set me off on this whole path that eventually became Grapevine because it was during that work where we were really on the ground. I lived in India for a couple of years doing that in rural communities. But it was during that time that technology started to come into the sector in a way, right? So Kiva was taking off and Kickstarter was launching and felt like this had such an amazing potential to really further democratize access to this type of community-based giving. And so I went to Harvard Business School to explore that and try and figure out how I how I could get involved. <laughs> and so I was able to do some consulting for Kickstarter and I launched a crowdfunding platform, but I was really feeling like crowdfunding was becoming a bit transactional and we were losing some part of the community element and the really purposeful side of, of giving and connecting. And so that's what set me off on this path to figure out, is there a more purposeful way we can use technology to give back knowing that community and collaboration would be a part of that. And so, yeah, we started exploring that and ultimately some giving circles discovered us and reached out and it's been a great partnership and collaboration to support and and scale this movement ever since. So what was that experience like going to Harvard? Was it all that you expected it would be? Absolutely. I mean, Harvard is an incredible incredible place. And there's always so much more to do and experience than than you can possibly take in. But for me, it was a wonderful place to learn a lot of the things that I felt I, I needed to learn to be able to, to really go out and pursue something and create something new in the world. Uh, I felt very drawn to doing that, but like I didn't quite know how to do that. And uh, I think the HBS really really helped prepare me for that. It also gave me an incredible community and network to learn from and draw upon to to help me do that. Yeah, it was just a really incredible, intense uh, period of time, but really wonderful opportunity. Did you have any particular influences that stand out that you'd like to share with us, people who may have really impacted your current organization or even now, you know, that you're working with influences that stand out in your mind? There are so many. I'm so grateful to so many people, unfortunate. So I I could mention many names, I guess, but maybe one that jumps out right now is David Kyle, who 
has been a longtime mentor of mine. He was the former COO and CIO at Acumen Fund, which is a an impact investing fund, one of the earliest in that space. And uh, he really encouraged me when I was interested in microfinance to go to India and do some research there. And then when I had an, a job offer to to move there and pursue that. And he's just uh, ever since been a big supporter uh, at every step along the way and supporter of, of Grapevine as well and helping us to make connections and think more broadly about what we're doing and and just, yeah, a great, a great, uh, as all mentors are, I think also just a great kind of emotional support, you know, friend to, to draw inspiration and energy from in, in the tough times and the good. Well, you mentioned microfinance a couple times in your experience there. And just for our listeners who maybe are, may not be familiar with that model, I'm just kind of curious if you can kind of explain the differences between that model and your philanthropy model? And why did you decide to go the philanthropy route as opposed to the microfinance route? Mm -hmm. It's a great question. So microfinance is about giving small dollar loans typically to people that typically don't have access to to loans. And there's a, a broad range of types of microfinance at this point, but that's really initial organizing thesis, right? That there are a lot of people out there in communities that are unbanked or underbanked um, that don't have access to easy loans that might be critical for them to be able to get some working capital to invest in their small business or to address a a health issue that they need uh, immediate money for, but they don't have savings. Um, And so they're both consumption and business-based loans. Um, But the idea is that instead of having some kind of, of collateral, whether it's savings or a home or any of these other things that might enable you to take out a loan like that, if you're one of us, you know, here in New York, like me right now, right? I can, I have certain assets that I can take out a loan and and they, those assets will collateralize that loan. But for these communities, people, you know, haven't had access to loans and resource like that because they haven't had a way to provide collateral. Um, So instead what happens is there's this element of social collateral. And that's where you might put together what we call a self-help group of women, for example, that might be somewhere between 10 and uh, 25 or 30 women. And you will give a loan to one of those women. And as soon as she pays back that loan, then another woman in the group is eligible to receive a loan. And so even though that woman doesn't have collateral necessarily that I can go and kind of take that will incentivize her to pay back that loan, she now has a whole community of people who are incentivized to encourage her to pay back that loan um, because they want to get a loan next, right? And so it's this idea of using that kind of social connection and, and community to allow that kind of lending. I think for us with the philanthropy side of things, we knew we wanted to, well, we think more broadly, right? So we knew we needed a place to start and we're already thinking about how do we take this community-based model where we're currently directing money to nonprofits and expand it to enable people to direct money to other uses. Uh, The Giving Circle movement itself has people who are pooling funds to then give to individuals or specific projects that don't go through a nonprofit or even political PACs and, and candidates, 501c4s, et cetera. So 
I think one of the interesting things is that we're seeing with people and how they give back and how they try to make a difference with their money is that they're thinking much more broadly now about what that means. It's not just about giving to a nonprofit. I think what we're seeing in a lot of the research is that people think about that across a broad variety of things from crowdfunding campaigns, supporting someone who has a health issue to nonprofits, to C4s, to political giving, et cetera. And so we at Grapevine are feeling that that is the broader um, world in which we will ultimately play beyond our, our initial focus on the nonprofit sector. Okay. And I hope that we can talk about that some more when we come back. Right now, we're going to take a little break. In moments, we will be back with Emily Rasmussen. This is Heartstock. This is Heartstock Radio. I'm Carol Murphy, your host. And today our guest is Emily Rasmussen. And we were just talking about her philanthropy platform, Grapevine. Emily, just wondering, you'd mentioned just before we took our little break here, that you have some plans for the future to expand beyond nonprofits. So, Let's talk about that a, a little bit right now. Like as uh, somebody who would like to participate in a giving circle, can you kind of walk us through that experience and then maybe talk a little bit about how you see that changing over time? Sure. Yeah. So right now, if you would like to start a giving circle, you can go to grapevine.org and click start a grapevine. And that's where you can easily set up your group page for your giving circle. It takes just a couple of minutes. Um, and what what you get from that is essentially a community page, kind of like a closed Facebook group, if you will, right? But um, really specific to a giving circle where you'll have your community wall where people can post and share videos and gifts and all of these fun things, communicate with each other. But you also have specialty features like nominate a nonprofit and vote on nonprofits. And this week we're launching actually events so those are all there in this community space where you can invite your members in to join and participate. And then in addition to that, we have the whole payment processing side of things. So when you invite members in, they can set up their subscription, their recurring donation to the shared pool for the group. And then it's up to your group to decide how you direct those funds. So a lot of our groups, for example, will let their members nominate a nonprofit and they can use the features on Grapevine to do that. And then ultimately we'll have an event either online or offline. Some will do this asynchronously though as well, where they'll ultimately vote on um, which nonprofit they want to support with their pooled funds for that cycle. Um, and this is important to note, I think as well, which is that these groups tend to go through many grant-making cycles, right? This is not a one-time crowdfunding campaign. This is about um, granting out money every quarter or every month or in some cases every year and continuing to connect with each other and build that impact over time. And so all of that 
donation processing, receiving and granting to the nonprofits and tracking we handle for you. Uh, so you don't have to worry about handling any of the money or any of that legal um, receiving, et cetera. So that's the, the current experience for starting a group. Um, if you want to join a group, there are many groups on grapevine.org that you can go and search for groups near you, groups that might be giving to things that you care about and request to join. And then the way in which this may be changing over time as we expand the potential uses of funds to go beyond charities is that you would have the opportunity to set up a, a grapevine much like I just described, except say, I want this grapevine to support nonprofits or I want this grapevine to support individuals or uh, 501c4s, et cetera. So you can kind of set up the different type of, of grapevine that you would like. And eventually, I think there may even be ways in which you can set up one and then choose each of your granting cycles, whether or not you want that granting cycle to go to a nonprofit or to another type of entity or individual. What have you seen in the way of impact? Um, share with us some of the success stories of the impact that you're creating and the impact that the the philanthropists are creating. Absolutely. I, we've moved almost $13 million now to more than 1,500 small local nonprofits across the country. And that's from 20,000 donors. So we've really had an incredible community come together and um, give back in a really meaningful way. I think there are so many examples I could give of specific organizations and impact. But I, I think during COVID, we had some really really powerful examples of how meaningful this model can be um, because it can be so responsive and community-led. There's a giving circle on our platform called Liberated Capital, and they've been focusing on supporting Native American communities. Now, during COVID, this a lot of these communities were very hard hit and didn't have access to resources um, a lot of those nonprofits and fiscally sponsored projects are quite small. And so what we found is that this giving circle was able to move millions of dollars at the end of the day to these very small local organizations that were bringing food to places that didn't have access to food, bringing uh, healthcare and uh, COVID tests to places that didn't have access to those things. So, you know, even just these five or $10,000 gifts at a time were making a really meaningful difference in these communities. Any of those located in Montana, are you able to share that with us? I don't know that at this moment, but I could look yeah. into it and let you know. Yeah, just curious. I know that there's um, a lot of room for growth here in Montana in that regard and mm. um, seeing so many positive changes. And I'm wondering also if there are any partners or other organizations that you'd like to mention that you've worked with. Absolutely. We have some really wonderful partners. Philanthropy Together is one. Uh, they are a giving circle initiative that was launched with funding from the Gates Foundation to really support and diversify and scale the giving circle movement. So they do a lot of uh, education and training advocacy work. In fact, uh, Sada Lomelin, who is their executive director, was just up at TED doing a TED talk on Giving Circle. So keep an eye out for that TED video coming out a little bit later this year. We also partner with some of the other major donor platforms and, and philanthropic organizations to help bring the Giving Circle model to their communities, um, like Charity Navigator, Giving Compass, Global Impact, 
Uh, we're having some broader conversations with some other organizations as well. I think as this Giving Circle movement continues to grow, these organizations and philanthropists are really trying to think about how can we get involved? How can we support and be part of this movement? And so we're having more and more conversations with foundations that want to match donations from giving circles or um, maybe work with us to launch a whole new network of giving circles around a particular cause or community. So uh, we're really looking to be that go-to partner for these organizations as they think about how they can um, support and, and contribute to this growing space. And I'm wondering how you were funded initially and ongoing, you know, how how are you funded? Is there a percentage that comes out of the the donations? Great question. So no, we are a free platform. What we do though is we have an option for donors to leave us a tip. Uh, when they make that donation. So it is optional, um, but we always encourage and greatly appreciate it when donors are willing to leave a tip on their donation. It's what enables us to do our work to help support and scale the movement and to make it free. So really make it accessible to anyone who wants to get involved. And how were you funded originally? Did you have investors yourself or how did you get it off the ground? A couple of things. We had some really visionary philanthropists uh, who made some contributions. We also had some very visionary investors, impact investors who made contributions or in investments in us. We're, we're a hybrid organization. We're both a social entity and uh, a nonprofit foundation. So that's the, the infrastructure that enables us to do all of this work. And as a result, we've been able to um, engage a broader variety of funders to help support uh, the work that we do. And I was hoping we could talk a, a bit also, we've probably got about three minutes left, two and a mm -hmm. half, talk a little bit about women's role and um, how are I, I'm having a uh, struggling here to phrase this question, but this is uh, a movement driven primarily by women. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. The research shows that we think between 70 and 80% of giving circle members and leaders are women. And, you know, it's, it's unsurprising when you look at the research around how women like to give too. Uh, what we see um, in the research out of the Lilly School of Philanthropy, uh, Women's Philanthropy Institute, is that women like to give collaboratively. They like to come together and build community through their giving. And they like to give to a broader range of causes and organizations than, than men typically do. And so this type of giving um, very much aligns with how we see women just generally liking to give. And I think there's this real social element in this feeling that women can come together and connect with and support other women. Um, I mentioned earlier that it's important not only that we're unlocking more funds, but also um, who is directing those funds. And it's women who bring that perspective of, you know, women and girls to this kind of giving. And uh, women and girls are, are significantly underfunded in the philanthropic space. I mean, certainly in the, the venture space as well. And, and so to have these women helping to direct funds is a really powerful way to help democratize access to funding and diversify it. 
So it really has been a movement led, driven by them and, and continues to be so even as we are pulling in a broader and broader range of, of people into the model. And how might folks find you, Emily? Absolutely. So if you go to grapevine.org, uh, you can find us there and uh, you can start a giving circle. You can search for one um, that you might want to join or just learn more about the overall movement. Thank you so much for sharing your story on Heartstock and uh, for the work that you're doing. This is really inspiring and amazing. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Carol, for having me and giving me the opportunity to share. And as usual, we shall see you next week. This is Heartstock. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. Hardstock Radio is a production of KBMF 102.5 Butte America Radio. Hear our programs every Friday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time via live stream at butteamericaradio.org. As I went walking, I saw a sign.